Money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Others use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it, and how to grow it. At Tilly Money, our aim is to build the financial strength of women. And this season, we're taking it to the next level by empowering you with practical wealth building tips and strategies to help you become financially independent. From money to beauty to health stories, we're also going to be talking to women about the inspirational journeys they have taken to motivate you on your path towards success in all areas of your life. This is Tilly Money. Our guest today is Catherine Roberts, co-founder of This Little Pig Went to Market. Founded in 2013, Catherine and her sister Jessica created a company that reflects the ethos of farm to table, honouring and supporting local farmers. By creating gourmet food boxes and dietitian approved recipes delivered to customers' doors, This Little Pig makes life just that little bit easier. Everything you need for the meal comes in the box, from marinated meats to dressing. How good is that? Catherine is a two-time Telstra Young Businesswoman finalist in both 2016 and 2017 and is part of the Smart 30 Under 30 alumni for 2017. Catherine, welcome to Tilly Money Podcast. Thanks, Maureen. Great to be here. Yeah, really good to be talking to you, and I'm looking forward to hearing this story. Now, I love that name, and I almost said um, at the beginning this little piggy went to market because that's a little rhyme that I even remember my parents, you know, um, when they would see their grandchildren and whatever, they'd play with their toes. But I want to hear, where where did you get the name? Um, well, it was sort of a, it was sort of a group of ideas that came together the name and the business um my sister always wanted to start a food blog with me called this little pig went to market um and so she already had that in the background going on Mm -hmm. and then um we came up with this business idea on the side and then we thought you know why don't we just bring the two together Mm. and create a business called this little pig went to market it's a great name because it's so embedded in people's minds from a very young age you know, that, yeah, uh, and it kind of gives that idea of, you know, like we're going to the, like we're the little pigs going to the market for you. Yeah. Well, that was the idea. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, great name. Now, I noticed that you've been a two-time Telstra Young Businesswoman finalist in 2016 and 2017, and it takes a lot to get to become a finalist. I mean, we all would hope that you could win the whole the, the whole award, but just to be a finalist amongst that. And the reason I say that with a little bit of knowledge is because for many years I was a national judge for those awards. So, And I know how much work goes into preparing for that award, you know, going through the application process, presenting to the judges who are quizzing you, you know, about your business and, you know, your motivation and your staff and all that. So... You've had told your story, Catherine, so many times, and I want you now, I want to give you the stage, the forum, but give us like a potted history of this little pig, how it started, how you grew it. You mentioned about the name, where that came from, but give us a potted history of those early days. Yeah, sure. Well, we um, we started in 2013, and I'd been doing some graphic design 
uh, for a university. And I was designing these really easy recipe cards for young adults trying to encourage them to eat more fruit and veggies. So, you know, it was a picture of a carrot and it would say chop it and a picture of a steak and it would say fry it. And um, so to test if the recipes were good, I packaged up all the ingredients and I gave it to a few of my friends with the card. And I said, you know, can you cook this meal using the recipe card and tell me if the recipe card's easy to follow? And um, they all came back and they said, like, look, recipe card was great, but if you packaged up our meals and told us what to eat, like, we would pay you for it. (laughs) And so at the same time, as I said, my sister, who's an amazing cook, um, was wanting to start the food blog called This Little Pig Went to Market. So we just got together and we said, why don't we do, why don't we combine the two and, um, and have a go? So um, Jess and I are both quite visionaries. So we had these big ideas of getting a warehouse and we'd have a fleet of Mercedes vans and we'd, um, we'd have an opening day where we'd launch pig-shaped balloons into the sky and all our family and friends would be there like cheering as the drivers roared out the door. And, and then my cousin, um, who's quite business savvy, was just, um, just pulled us back and said, hey, why don't you just do five boxes for your family and friends and see how that goes before you invest all this money. And, you know, we said, oh, Mark, he's such a killjoy. But we thought we'd, <laughs> thought mm. we'd give it a whirl. And it took us, I think it took us about 15 hours to do those five boxes by the time we had, you know, sourced all the produce and um, written all the labels and organised the delivery route and everything. And um, that night, it was about 10 o'clock at night when we finished deliveries on a Sunday. And we were just sitting on the couch and we had burger crumbs on our front and we were watching Dirty Dancing on Channel 7. And we were just we just looked at each other and we said, what what were we thinking? You know, like, what have we done? So we just said, never again. That was that was crazy. But then we got the messages the next day from family and friends who got the boxes saying, dinner was amazing. What's on next week's menu? And so we thought, oh, okay, we'll just do one more week and then we'll just do one more week. And and it just sort of started very slowly and <laughs> very organically. And then Jess and I have this saying, you know, like when you trip over and you sort of sprint to, to stay upright, we kind of, for the first three years, I'd say that's how we sort of ran the business. Mm-hmm. That's a good <laughs> way of putting it. Yeah. While, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we just we were just crashing through doing the best we could um, around our other jobs and everything. And then we sort of steadied out and, you know, started to get systems and processes and efficiencies. And from then on, it became a lot more smooth and manageable and a bit more professional. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that dipping your toe in the water. I mean, it was the beginning, as you say, because you were doing your, your research really and your even your um, samples going out to family and friends and, you know, getting feedback. You know, that was a relatively low-cost way of doing a lot of market, digging market research and then good market, market feedback to see what worked. Um, who helped you with your processes then and your systems that, took it that one step forward was that one of you were very good at that or did you hire someone to help you develop those systems or um a bit of both yeah I think naturally um we're both very good at systems and always just looking at you know when we're doing something we think you know is this actually the the most efficient way to do it like if you stood in a different location or if you had the the produce bags on your left hand side would it be easier because you can reach for the herbs on your right hand side like we've always looked at that really systematically um, but I did read um, a lot of books when I started and one I loved was uh, the McDonald's it was a it was a book about the McDonald's process and how you know um, every cheeseburger they have a certain amount of pickles that go on the cheeseburger and they're put on the cheeseburger in a certain order so that 
you know, if an 18-year-old in Perth is making you a cheeseburger or like a 38-year-old in Thailand is making the cheeseburger in the McDonald's one, every cheeseburger tastes the same. And so that was kind of our idea. Like if we could create processes that no matter who was standing on our production line, the customer wouldn't notice um, the difference, that was kind of our idea behind it. That is so smart, Catherine, because Ray Kroc was the person who took McDonald's from the very small hamburger joint that the actual McDonald's brothers started in the States. He saw this great business that he wanted to, you know, take all around America. When he suggested that to the McDonald brothers, they couldn't see it because they said, how do we spread ourselves all around America? But what you're saying is by reading that book and what Ray Kroc saw, he actually said, well, you don't need to take the McDonald's brothers all over America. You just need to take the systems and processes, their ways, the ways of doing things properly. So that's what you learned when you read that. Because Ray Kroc, apparently he has this quote, I never even made one hamburger but what he made were the systems and processes. So Yeah, that's it. It's that idea of um, like we always say, like trust the system, yep. not the people, or trust the process, not the people. Yeah. And it's not that, you know, people aren't fan people are fantastic, but everyone has learned different ways of doing things. And so we just never wanted the customers to think, oh, the, the B team's been packing the bags this week or anything, you know, like it just every single customer should have the exact same experience every week is mm, like a, a without mentality. a doubt without a doubt now you're talking about bags and you're talking about putting herbs into bags so tell us a bit more about what the actual business does and does now so actual people go to market and then they bring the idea of this food from um, from farm to table is that what you fresh food that then's packaged up and delivered to people's homes is that correct yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it starts in the recipe test kitchen. So my sister Jess and I, um, we come up with the recipes and we test them out and make sure they're delicious. And pretty much if they don't blow our socks off, we mm. don't let them go out the door. <laughs> and then they um, they get costed up. We've got this fabulous database that costs them. Um, and then, yeah, we go to the markets and we've got like some great suppliers there that, um, you know, we can tell ahead of time what kind of produce we're looking for and and they'll sort of guide us towards what's in season and what's really beautiful at the moment. Um, then it comes back to the warehouse and we have a team that processes it sort of so, um, you know, they'll portion out um, 200 grams of snow peas and one carrot and half a bunch of spring onions for a stir fry and package it all up in beautiful bio bags and environmental packaging. Um, and then we have like uh, handmade marinades that go to, uh, gourmet butcher and he packs all the meat by hand and processes it for us and it comes back ready to go straight onto the ice um, and then yeah all the the meal is just packed up so pretty much it's like you know those cooking shows where you just um, pour in some garlic and then you throw in the herbs and it's all just portioned out for you that's the idea behind this so all you do is the chopping and the cooking basically it should everything you need down to the last garlic clove or olive oil is in mm. your meal bag everything is there and the recipe yeah okay. which is a bit different to a lot of the other meal kit companies like most of them have like the pantry staples and things you need but um i think that's the beauty of what jess and i created is we we didn't really do any market research when we came up with this idea like it was very much an organic idea that we came up with and then we realized that you know there this idea actually existed elsewhere in the world but because we'd come up with this idea, we'd already created what we wanted a meal kit to look like. 
And I just find it so frustrating if you're cooking and then you realise you've run out of olive oil or you don't have soy sauce in the pantry and it just ruins the whole dish. So for us, it was about giving people the whole experience and controlling it. So, you know, if someone uses crap soy sauce, they're going to have a different experience to the great quality we use. So it was sort of about controlling the process and making sure people could see why it was such an amazing meal. Mm, it's true because I would imagine that a lot of people you sell to, they lead busy lives, you know, working and family. And if the oil isn't there, that takes away the idea of I can get dinner ready very quickly and a nice dinner too. So you'd have to be careful that everything that they need, as you say, is in that box. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of people who start with us, you know, they're not confident cooks. And so I mm. think that they just think, oh, yeah, what's the difference between a $5 olive oil and a $20 olive oil? It won't make much difference. But oh, if does. you're marinating a fennel, mm. that's going to be the hero of your salad. Mm. Like it really does make a difference. Mm. So, yeah, it's sort yes. of about education and control. <laughs> well, you know, ask an Italian if they think that there's good and bad olive oil and I'm sure that they'll tell you an answer <laughs> that supports what you're saying. Exactly. But, Catherine, um, in terms of you mentioned about people, you know, cooking and then you said, you know, we knock up recipes and we cook things and work out if where did the cooking skills come from? Uh, we're just we're from a like a big family who just loves food. Um, so I think that's where it started. Like when we were little, mum always used to um, one of us kids, so I'm one of four, so one of us kids would have to set the table every night, one of us would have to help in the kitchen and one of us would have to wash the dishes. So, you know, we were always really a part of that um, that time of cooking and getting ready for food and we just really love food. So all of our family gatherings, like it's all about what we're going to cook and it's always long table lunches and we sort of just like to pretend we're from a big Italian family even though we're not. <laughs> no, no, Rob, um, Robert's so. Roberto, my, but Robert's doesn't sound, yeah. it sounds more English than Italian. Like but, uh, but you sound like you can so. cook with the um, culinary skills of an Italian. Um, yes, well, what, we hope so. Maybe yeah. not if next Madonna, but, yeah, we just love that idea of um, food bringing, you know, it just brings people together and it just gives you so much joy and, you know, you can be so grumpy before you eat and then once you've eaten, the whole world looks different. So, yeah, that's sort of where that um, love of food came from. So we haven't haven't had any classical training. It's just literally um, watching lots of TV cooking shows, got, going to lots of cooking schools. Jess and I read cookbooks in bed like a, like a novel, you know, so just immersing ourselves in that food world and um, trying new things really. Mm. How, you've been going since 2013, I think you said. Um, yeah. What, what kind of, if you could position yourself, you're, you're in Perth, What's your market size like now? Because you've got some big competitors there. Um, I don't know to what extent some of them go over to Perth, but, you know, you've got some of the really big ones like HelloFresh. Um, what's your market size now? And give, give us a kind of an idea. You know that vision that you said you had before, um, what did you say, that I think it was Mark, you know, the um, the vision, <laughs> the vision <Yeah>. crusher. <laughs> but what what's yeah. your vision? Like where are you now and what's your vision? Because you sound like even though that at the time the vision might have been big, hey, having a big vision, it's not a bad thing at all to have. Yeah, yeah. Well, when we started, we um, we definitely had a big vision and, you know, sort of the sky was the limit in terms of, you know, we wanted to franchise and have huge warehouses and just have this huge, huge thing. But I guess as we've grown, it sort of made me realise that, um, you know, big is not always better. I'd rather probably have um, less customers that spend a lot of money with us 
um, rather than, you know, like thousands of customers and huge warehouses with employees and hairnets that I've never met and, you know, those kind of things. Like I just feel like that's not what Jess and I love about business. And um, because of our ethos of using small local suppliers, we would lose that dynamic if we did, you know, grow to a to a humongous size. So for us, it's more about finding our loyal customers who love what we do and know what we're about and providing them with a lot of products, you know, that make their life easier. So that's kind of our focus. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. For almost 30 years, Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers have been helping Australians just like you realise their property ownership goals. They put your best interests as their top priority because they work for you, not lenders. Whether you are looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage Choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork for you. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 13 77 62 to speak to your local broker today. about the early years so I guess from say maybe 2013 to 2015 you know I know you said that you were very determined to get your processes right but you also you know were starting to employ people on a part-time or a casual or full-time basis but what was it like what was the startup experience like you know you were kind of getting beyond that dreamy kind of phase like you made the boxes for your friends and then, you know, people come want more because your product's good. So you're in business, you know. What were those early <laughs> days like? Yeah, the startup experience, what a, what a ride. Um, it was amazing. Like when we started, it was amazing how many people told us um, when we told them our idea, they said the idea wouldn't work. And I think that was actually really good because Jess and I are both quite stubborn. So as soon as people started saying that, we were like, well, now we're going to have to start this business and prove you wrong. We've got no option. <laughs> so that was like a really good driver for us. Um, and we just started really small. We started in mum and dad's kitchen and we kicked dad out of his um, office, turn it into our pantry. And poor mum and dad were watching footy on Friday nights with little pig boxes stacked around them, <laughs> uh, ready for delivery day the next day. Mm. Uh, and we just started really low cost. You know, we just did, and the family did everything. So we delivered in our own cars. We obviously worked out of mum and dad's house. We hand wrote the labels on all the sources mm. and um, we went to the markets and hand counted out all the produce to make sure it was the best quality and the perfect amount. So, we so you were making all the sources and things too, were you? We were, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, everything. Mm. And, um, you know, at the start we were hand tying little ribbons on our napkins and things, but we certainly dropped away <laughs> some of those things um, with, with sizing. Um, but what was really good about doing it in such a low cost way is that it, like gave us a really good understanding of like the inner workings of the business and it also um, managed like we managed to start a business with really low overhead so we could try out new things and we wouldn't have these huge costs you know outweighing it so we've always had a very small business model that's meant that we haven't had to you know get big financing in from other people or anything we've just managed to be very organic um, so we use like a, a lean startup method so for example if you need like a stainless steel bench just go out and buy a $20 plastic table from Bunnings and 
try it for a few weeks and see if it works. And then if it does work, you can go and invest in that bench. Or if it doesn't work, all you've lost is $20. And you're not outlaying a huge amount of money. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then we eventually moved out of mum and dad's house and slash they kind of kicked us out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Probably did you good though, because you're serious in business now. Time to leave home. Yeah, Yeah, at the time we were a bit shocked, but in hindsight, well overdue Um, and then we built a premise in my backyard um, and that was like a commercial kitchen space and um, this is where we used it to sort of create the processes and everything Um, and you know where we dreamed about one day having employees and then um, we got to the stage where we were outgrowing the backyard and trying to make that huge financial decision to move into a warehouse and just the idea of locking into a three-year lease um, was so scary at the time you know we thought oh my gosh I don't know where we'll we'll be in three years or how big we'll be like it's just such a long time Um, but Jess and I've always had this saying of you have to build the train tracks before there's a train big enough to go on it Um, and so you know we find that every time we've made like a leap of faith that maybe the finances don't quite add up but you're close Um, we often find that making that big leap and that big decision inspires and motivates you enough to get the sales to follow. Mm, mm. Did you, did you always keep a positive mindset or did you have your private doubts or your worries or was positivity just something that's ingrained and you, you were going to push through no matter what? Yeah, I think, um, there was definitely, oh, there's definitely been so many lows and, you know, like, what are we doing with our lives? moments um but I think because we always had that confidence not only in ourselves but also the product we were creating because we'd created a product that we loved I think that really helped us so um even though we certainly had moments of flatness it was one really lucky that Jess and I were in it together so we sort of say when one of us is up the other one's down you know like there's always one of us who's who's got a good mind frame while the other one wallows a little bit and that's okay um but also um because we were believed in our product we'd say all right you know this isn't working sales aren't coming in the door so let's talk to a marketing person that we know or you know if um if we're not making money let's talk to someone in finance and see what we're doing wrong with our costing so rather than giving up we always just try and say like look there's no problem we can't solve which is one of our favorite sayings (laughs) so we say like you know what's What do we need to fix here to make this work? See, what you're really saying is that when you say, oh, we have a problem here, let's talk to someone in finance, got a problem there, let's talk to someone in marketing, you're using people as mentors. Yeah. How did you find that experience? Were they easy to find? Were they agreeable to give you at times? Because a lot of people, when you go to, um, you know, business conferences or you read books about business, they say, get a mentor. But like, where do you get them and how do you approach them? And, you know, how do you, how, how, what, have they got the time, you know, to spend with you? Tell us what that, that was. Who did you go to? Yeah, well, I, I found with mentors, like, they, everyone was very accommodating of helping me out when I started. Um, I looked mostly to people that I knew in my contacts. So, you know, whether it be through previous employers I'd had or um, just family, friends and those kind of things. Um, but I always just made the effort to, get in touch and say, can I just take up 30 minutes of your time? I'll come to your work and take you out for a coffee. And these are the kinds of questions I want to ask you. So, you know, just making it very easy for them and not, you know, sort of saying, can I spend the morning with you and just soak up your world? Because I just think that, you know, everyone's so busy and time poor, you've just got to give them 
a little a little easy snippet that they can give for you. Um, and when I looked at the people that I want to talk to, I tried to find mentors uh, that had strengths in areas that I was challenged in or didn't have experience in. So um, I picked, I talked to a CFO who I used to work with, who I really admired for his work in turning struggling companies into profitable ones. And um, I talked to another lady who was, I really admired her for her ability to have tough conversations with staff and not let feelings get in the way of making strong business decisions. Um, it's kind of the idea, I don't know if you've heard of um, where Jim Rohn, uh, the motivational speaker, says that if someone's really good at something, you know, just grab them, take them out for a cup of coffee and just pick their brains. And he even says, like, if someone's terrible at something, you should take them out and, like, pick their brains about, like, how they made that mistake so you don't repeat it. <laughs> I feel like that one's a bit harsh, though. No. But, um, <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, I, I really like what you're reading because you talked about the McDonald's story, you know, and reading about that, which is, you know, the perfect example of how systems work because you can get teenagers to run businesses and, you know, teenagers... Yeah. As a parent, parents, you know, I've been, I've had teenagers, you know, and they, they can be a bit difficult sometimes. But McDonald's gets them, you know, working really effectively. And it's like you said, it's the systems behind it that um, that make it easy to employ people who could sometimes be a little bit difficult. So then you say you're reading Jim Rohn. Now Jim Rohn is an authority, you know, on all areas of business, you know, and what you're telling me is that you've also you know, got virtual mentors, you know, you're referring to quality people, quality books, you know, where you're learning about business too. Am I correct in saying that? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I am. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in reading as much as you can, you know, podcasts and inspiring books and articles. I think it can just, can change your whole, whole day if you're having a bad day or your whole, whole life sometimes the things that you read. Um, yeah. Like I try to sort of focus on different areas, again, that I knew that I struggle with, like time management or you know, business finances or, yeah, any of those kind of areas that I felt like I needed um, improvement on. Like they're specialists for a reason. Why not use them? Mm, so true. Now, originally it was you and Jess um, and then you had those unpaid helpers, you know, that we call parents that you mentioned. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. When, what kind of staff arrangements do you have now, you know, like and and then – Tell us what your experience are because it's one thing to put great recipes together, one thing to put fabulous, you know, organic, beautiful quality food and deliver it, but it's another thing, you know, to manage people, find good people and make sure that they're keen and enthusiastic and, you know, want to do the right thing. Um, tell us about that experience of working with others. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we started, yeah, as you say, just um, slave labour mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we always labor, say labour of love, you love labour. Yeah, can't mm -hmm. find good free help anywhere these days, no, you but you can with your parents. <laughs> yeah, so true. Um, yeah, so we started there and then we hired, um, I think, uh, yeah, we had, had one lady who used to work, you know, three hours a week to begin with and then five hours and, yes, yeah, it was very organically built over time. Um, and then probably uh, middle of last year we were sort of at about the, I think we had about six or eight employees mm -hmm. um, and then corona hit and um, we increased 100% in two weeks with wow. our sales. Wow. Um, and that was um, a big turbo charge for the business. Oh, so wow. um, pretty much overnight we had to really increase staff. So mm -hmm. we went from 
um, like six to about, I think we've got about 20, 26 now. Wow, that's a good um, news story and, out of coronavirus. Yeah, it's good to hear. Yes, we were super lucky, um, just, you know, right right business, right time. Um, but, you know, even that growth, like we'd always dreamed of having those kind of, that kind of growth, but it did bring with it its challenges, you know, like what processes and in, um, things that you do for five staff certainly don't work for 20 staff and you know like suddenly you realize that you can't talk to every single one of them every day and communicate all your needs so I think that's that was really good where we had our um where we had the processes in place uh for other people to then learn and teach others so yeah and what was the rest of your question I feel like I got sidetracked well just talking about the way you learned to manage staff because it brings me on to the idea of leadership because First of all, from books that you've written, particularly uh, written, uh, read, particularly Jim Rohn, even if you don't have staff and you've got a small business and it's just you, you know, you're a sole trader, you've got to lead yourself, you know. So yeah. Jim Rohn talks about that. If you think you're not leading anyone, well, look in the mirror because that's the first person you have to lead. Then staff come into the equation. Okay, you lead your parents. We all know kids lead their parents from the day that they're born. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. I'm sure Chester's, you know, in a position of leadership. But um, <laughs> but Chester being so. Chester being your your little boy that you mentioned prior to this. But um, yeah. I um, where, where where did you learn about leadership, Catherine? You know, because it's not some of us are born with leadership skills, but. It's not an easy thing, even if you've got the skills there. You've got any books that you read or how did you find that? Or you, it's Jess um, a better leader than you and she does other things well. What, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, well, when I started um, with the first few employees, I just I sort of went with that idea of just treat people how I would like to be treated um, initially. Um, and I read a lot of books, like I loved the uh, Dale Carnegie uh, book how to win friends and influence people I found that one really helpful and there was another book um, by De- Derek Siver- Sivers called um, anything you want I think and it was just that idea of creating a company uh, that you want rather than just following the norms and you know having huge terms and conditions and all these staff policies and protocols that no one reads um, so I did a lot of reading of books as, as per usual and then I also just researched into like the best companies to work for and um, took the parts that resonated with me and and I just looked back at my previous employers and thought about things that they did for me that made me feel motivated and valued to work for them. Um, I think what's really good is um, Jess is quite good at um, being like she doesn't use her emotions so much with staffing whereas I'd say I'm a bit more empathetic in that way so um, it's really good having her there because sometimes she pulls me back from the abyss of like too much kindness or you know getting too involved and looking after people rather than thinking the business Um, so I think whilst I've learned over time that like it's great to treat employees how you'd like to be treated you also need to have some boundaries around yourself just so you don't get too enmeshed in their lives and I think you just get very emotionally burnt out if you get too in emotionally invested with with staff. So, yeah, I think it's leading with heart but also having boundaries in place, would, I would say, our leadership style is. Mm, that's a very, very good piece of advice there. Let's, because we're in the home track, let's let's talk a little bit about moving away from um, your business and let's talk a little bit about you. Um what, have you. what do you like with money? We know from what we've heard during this podcast you know, you're sensible, you know, you've got a business that's been operating since 2013, you know, that you, um, 
you have systems and processes, you go to people for as financial mentors or whatever. What about Catherine Roberts, you know, the personal money manager? What's she like? Because mm-hmm. this is Tilly Money, remember? Yes, yes. And um, yeah, I was actually, I was thinking about um, your space and thinking how amazing it is. And it's exactly, it's one of the top things that I would, I would say, because I'm, I would say I'm not naturally, um, I'm not naturally good with money. So what I've worked out is I need to have strategies in place to assist me with that. And um rather than sticking my head in the sand, I've tried to empower myself by educating myself about money. And, you know, if you're talking with your accountant and you don't understand something, actually just um, having the courage to ask them what they mean rather than trying to pretend to be smarter than you are or know what they're talking about. So, you know, with Tilly Money, like that's all about what you do is like giving women the tools and the empowerment to understand money. Exactly. Um, so I would just say, yeah, the, the big one for me is just working out um where, where you're challenged with money and trying to improve it. So mm. um, I know that um, I'm easily tempted. So for me, I'll, um, I won't just go window shopping or browse through shops. I'll always only like, I'll make a list beforehand and I'll only go to the shops that I need to, or um, I don't have much advertising that comes into my inbox because mm. I know that's the easy thing you. when I fall yes. bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sounds like an um, article and- that one of our writers, Thea, would write. You know, is take away oh, all the temptation. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. So I just I know what my tells are for, you know, doing dodgy things with finance, and I just um, I just steer away from it. Really, I just try and try and avoid it. And um, you know, I've realised I'm not very proactive with money. It's because it's not a passion of mine. So I wouldn't say, you know, it gives me great joy to whip out the financial ledgers and um, check my budgets for the week. But what I have worked out is that if I can set up things to tick along in the background, like. Um, direct debits to like a high interest savings account or an investment fund well then that's something really easy because I am lazy I'll just let it keep going and keep going until it's really built up so I think strong money rituals they sort of come from feeling empowered and knowledgeable and just doing tiny consistent things Um, you know even just changing the language you use so you know, if you say, oh, I'm terrible with money and I spend every cent that I get well then you're always going to be terrible with money and spend every cent that you have so you know just start saying yeah I'm, I'm really good with money when people ask mm, that's fantastic information and good good side tips as well about money management how do you frame success for yourself Catherine what's your definition of success oh oh there's a I feel like it's um it's a multi-pronged approach success for me um it's not like a single thing that makes me feel successful but um Generally, I feel good um, when I have time for like the main pillars in my life. So, you know, for me, like family is one. So like making sure my kids and my husband feel loved and listened to. Um, My health, having time and energy to put into my exercise and finding joy in things. Um, Work, it's a happy, you know, happy employees, great quality product going out the door and strong sales. And then probably like finances is the last pillar of long-term plan with enough money to have that, you know, it's not a factor when you have to make important health and life decisions. Um, And I think as well with success, it's just recognising that you can have all these pillars in place and that's great, but sometimes you'll be killing it in one area whilst another area might be struggling, but that's okay. Sort of just trying to find um like some chaos um some joy in the chaos I would Mm, say mm, no I hear what you're saying it's good and 
and success comes in different waves at different times as well. So like you yeah. said, you find it in one pillar but not the other. But, um, I remember there's a great quote by Elizabeth. Um, she's a screenwriter in America and I think she said something along the lines of if you see me out at um, a Grammy Award and I look amazing and my hair's beautiful and I'm winning all these awards, you know, you can be sure that in some other area of my life, like my toddler's sick at home or, you know, like I've missed a school recital and she said, you know, like you, you can never have all the balls in the air mm. at once no, it's and impossible. that's okay, you just have to accept it. <laughs> it's impossible. I mean, as women, we like to think that we're multi-skilled, but sometimes you get to a stage in your life it's well, none of us, neither men or women, are really multi-skilled. We can't do a hundred things at once. It's just that we women have kind of had to because, you know, in the past we were kind of the main raiser of the family and when you've got a kid on your hip and maybe another one, you know, in the bassinet and you've got to do a thousand things, you learn to multitask. But like that quote yes. you said from Elizabeth in, you know, the Hollywood star, it's something sometimes gives and we often put too many demands on ourselves for perfection when we yeah. can't be perfect. We can't do it all. That quote that says um, we expect women to work like they don't have families mm. and have families like they don't work mm -hmm. I think is a really good sum of up. Mm, it's so true. And it's good to hear you say that because we need to tell each other that we don't have to be perfect. But, look, you've said something already, and I'm going to use this against you, Catherine, because you admitted <laughs> that you were stubborn, okay, and the next question is that what advice would you give to your 21-year-old self? Now, most 21-year-olds mm. don't listen. You know, I've been 21, think I knew everything, didn't think my parents, had, you know, had anything they could add to my life, et cetera, et cetera, quite stubborn and said in my ways. But you've already said you're stubborn now. So I want to take you back <laughs> to when you were 21 and a stubborn Catherine now, I want you to t say... Give some advice to that 21-year-old self. What, what would you say to her, knowing that she's stubborn? I, think I sometimes reflect on where I was at 21 and think, you know, could I have, or like, would I have changed how I did things? And I don't know if I would have, just because I feel like whatever you learn and do, it ends up, you know, influencing your life. So I don't know. I think that I would just encourage my 21-year-old self to sort of try as many wild and wonderful things as you can, you know, like a 21-year-old life, life is so uncomplicated then for most people. Um, and I just feel like sometimes now people just take themselves too seriously too early. And I just feel like if if I could have um, spent less time worrying and more time experiencing like, you know, the wonders of travel and um, not worrying so much about where my future would end up, I think I probably could have just had had more fun and mm. got more experiences that would then help me now. It's mm, mm. a great piece of advice to 21-year-old Catherine and for many other people to, li to listen to. Catherine, there's a TV show called Grand Design. Some people may not know of it, but, you know, I love property and I love building and so I watch it. And to me, what you've built with this little piggy went to market is a grand design for a business. And in that television show, they revisit some of the... Um, the designs, you know, from three years ago when they actually do the filming, you know, they go back and see, well, what's the house like now? I'd love to go back, come back and talk to you about how your business is going down the track, um, if you'd be interested in joining us at a, a date in the future. Oh, yes, I'd love to. Yeah, honestly, I feel like Little Pig changes every six months. So I feel like even if you got in contact in a few months, it would be completely different to where we are now. It's just 
it's a it's an ever-changing beast that sounds fantastic well ever-changing bro- pig ever-changing pig we um We've broken the ice. We feel we know a little bit more about your business. Uh, this little pig went to market and certainly look forward to talking to you again down the track. Thanks, Maureen. Okay. Thank you for your time. Your host this week was Maureen Jordan. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. To keep up to date with all of our content, follow us on Instagram at tilly.money. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music.